Welcome to Mud 79. I'm Fearless Fred Kennedy, the creator of this totally original and in no way authorized Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you're listening to this, you probably love Star Wars. I do too, and have always dreamed about telling my own story in a galaxy far, far away. A story that's less about the Jedi Temple and more about those who were on the front lines. A boots-on-the-ground story about how those living in the galaxy survive the horrors of war. That's what Mud79 is all about. If you're new to the show, welcome, but please be aware this is a series. So if you don't want to be totally lost, start from the beginning with episode one. You don't want to be a stormtrooper. This is episode 16. All paths lead to suffering. The 79th Platoon has been grouped in with the three other platoons in the 20th Company to establish a fire point in the western valleys of Sestin IV, the Green Death. Their new position hasn't even been completed when the 79th is called upon to rescue another platoon that's been ambushed. Will the new deployment strategy be effective in dealing with the growing threat on Sestin IV's surface? Let's find out. Winter didn't stick around too long, but it made an impact. The hill was freezing those first few weeks, winds at around a hundred clicks, gusts of blowing snow and ice that would cut your face if you were in the clear. It was even worse when you were up above the hills on a mountain patrol, which happened a lot. We were marching through hut country at least once a week, and I should clarify, Hut country doesn't mean there was any hut crime syndicate activity in the area. There might have been, given how many Merc crews we were running into. But I never saw or heard of anything hut related. We just used the term hut country whenever we were in a hostile, rich environment. You'd do a flyout every six or seven days, blind didn't know where you were going until you were in the air. You'd walk a route, always quiet, hush-hush, looking for any small insurgent outpost, an improvised landing site, old mine, anything. Then you'd be back at camp, digging in, cleaning your gear, straight ahead work, routine. And that was good, appreciated. Two months later, we still hadn't gotten our numbers bumped up either. No reinforcements. The severely wounded had made it back from a stay at the main infirmary in Flaudeen, which was now a military stronghold. All refugees fleeing violence in the area were sent there. Processed, given imperial citizenship, a monthly allowance, and employment according to skill wasn't perfect. Most people that went to Flaudeen wound up doing labor, working the fields. It was hard. It was, but it wasn't permanent. And that was a lot better offer than anything you'd get from the Seshers. And Seshers is what we started calling the secessionists operating in the area. 
They were a mishmash of slaves taken from nearby mines and villages, sometimes traders captured in orbit or on a nearby stellar trade line. There were also some legitimate militias, former soldiers from one conflict or another, and even a few mercenary companies. Those guys were consistently the ones who'd cause us the most grief. They'd usually be hopped up on stems, bith dust, anything they could get their hands on. You didn't get those types surrendering too often. 79 Platoon was still running three squads, and the delay in reinforcements was due to the massive strategic shift in our regional campaign. See, once the whole change of command happened and things settled down a touch, Murray got to work poking sources. So, there were some full-on seshers in the comms trench of the crossfire. When the call for help went out from Domju and Vibus, they jammed it, prevented a response. I don't know if the captain was actually on the take, but it looks like he was. That's why he didn't let us store Kenyon on the ship. He was being paid not to. So either way, I'm glad they clipped him. Prick. The new CNC, Commodore Mel Dean, dismissed the crossfire, deeming its entire crew compromised and in need of interrogation. The single Imperial-class Star Destroyer was replaced by four Architans-class light cruisers. They were a fair bit smaller than a Star Destroyer, like a third the size, but the numbers, four ships, kept them on constant patrol in the system. They were always moving. And at least once a week, there'd be something on the Holonet feeds about one of these ships catching and executing pirates, slavers, smugglers, and every now and again, crooked politicians. They also had the 11-4-16th Legion doing a lot of humanitarian work. The sudden conflict and uptick in violence was really displacing the population. There was an endless stream of civilians from Halfaken Bay, and we promised food and shelter, so we needed to put up. And we did. And we made sure everyone knew about it. But while they were installing latrines and multi-storied barracks units, along with the occasional playground, we and the rest of the infantry units of the 934th Legion hunted down the slightest whispers of suspected enemy activity. We were just returning from a patrol that had taken us within view of the Rylian foothills, where we took out that enemy fire point. It was a blasé trudge through deep jungle, broken up with long uphill marches through mud-slicked passes, and occasionally fjording across streams bursting over with spring runoff from the mountains. Very, very cold spring runoff. We found a small encampment. It looked like it had been abandoned just before we arrived. Scanners found a lot of residual energy readouts, traces of refined Kenyan, which could have meant anything. Might have been a listening post, maybe even an assembly spot for cloaking devices. 
We were just finishing our sweep when a Poda ape came charging in. And they moved fast. Thing was howling and losing its mind. Tolan had his slug thrower ready and took a shot. But he only clipped it, just made it mad. It was coming hard at Private Perez, a mortarman from Squad 3, when Sergeant Hefspar grabbed it from the side. Got a good grip on one of its arms and she swung it over her head like a sledgehammer and slammed it into the ground so hard you heard its head crunch on impact. Who knew how many of the ape's bones she broke, but that didn't even kill it outright. The ape was still twitching, trying to get upright and go for her throat until she emptied three rounds from her rifle into its skull. She glared at Tolan as she walked past. Next time, don't miss. The rest of the patrol was pretty mundane. Hit our evac point and flew back to camp. It was when we landed that things got interesting. Captain Mbali had assembled everyone not on active duty to address us face to face. We hadn't even been given a chance to hose ourselves down at that point. I watched Targon pick a vamp slug off her neck right in front of me. Look at the size of this guy. But I tried to focus on what the captain was saying. I want you all to know that Imperial Command is aware of the hard work you've been doing. General Vasic is particularly proud of the 934th's repeated acquisition of prisoners from our sector. This has given us a significant advantage in terms of intelligence gathering. He's also aware that the 934th is in dire need of a morale boost. As such, he has announced a legion-wide Terracasi tournament to be held on the 20th of Salona. That got everyone's eyes wide open. Terracasi, or Steel Hand, was initially a martial art meant to neutralize Jedi, but had become an all-out, anything-goes fighting system. The only real rules were no eye gouging or biting. It was also advised not to hit anyone in their reproductive organs, wherever they may be located. And it was always a hit on the hollows. Pit fighting was one thing. That usually involved slaves juiced up on drugs and carrying weapons. Had a real menace to it, but Terracasi was all fists and feet. And the ones who were really good at it made it look like an art, made for great viewing. It wasn't as big where I was from, we were Lemmy fans, but in the core worlds, Terracasi always drew huge crowds. The tournament winner will be given a purse of 5,000 Imperial credits, and every soldier in the champion's company will receive a bonus of 100 credits on their following pay period. She paused and held a smirk. The 20th company will win that title, troopers. I'll ensure a sign-up sheet is posted in the mess. If you have any hand-to-hand -hand experience, I'd encourage you to put your name down. Fighters will have their privileges. Dismissed. Oh! She held that smirk for a few seconds and then walked slowly away from us. It's strange. I don't remember caring about it at first, 
I had no real plans of entering. I was just excited for some fresh entertainment. It wasn't until I got out of the showers and started disassembling my rifle that I gave it any real thought. I was just sitting there with my mouth shut listening to some bullshit music from a hollow while everyone around me ran their mouths. There was a lot of talk from people who thought they would enter and who thought they would win. I already knew who would win. Sergeant Hefspar, man. She was Deveronian. She was huge. And I'd seen her working out and training in the PT yard. Her steel cord-like physique barely contained by the compression gear we wore under our uniforms. She'd put up full fuel barrels like they were standard issue sandbags, and they weighed more than 200 kilos. Hefspar had that tournament on lock. I was rerouting the venting and had my new rifle close to the level of that E-11S I had lost when Vibus was attacked. I wondered what happened to the Twi'lek weaponsmith, Sergeant Usine Delbicki. I decided to shoot her a message, see if she could send me a few parts via the Imperial Courier Service. Just fired it off when there was a knock on my bedpost. You gonna sign up? Murray. Of course he was going. Big moosey bastard. No. Come on, man. You'll do great. I've seen you play, Limmy. It's in you. I didn't even put my weapon down, just kept vaping the scoring off the uptake. I knew he was about to tell me he already signed up. I'm signing up. You should see the exemptions you get. You can even get off flyouts for training. Murray, you're a red op. There's no way you're coming off the list. You neither, Kwai. We only have three scouts in the whole platoon. That was a sound observation. I would have asked Mondi if her name was going on the list, but she was sleeping. Us scouts needed to look out for each other. Our shots back and forth continued until Murray was fully aware I wasn't about to be his punching bag for the next few weeks. Then I finished cleaning and oiling my rifle, put it in its case and tucked it away under my cot. It was getting close to shift change and there'd be fresh chow in the mess, so I headed over. The fighters list was on the wall right where you'd exit the meal line. A digital keypad on a screen. Punch in your TK and voila, you were in. I wondered who was on there already, but pocketed the thought and grabbed my tray. I did give it a long gaze as I walked by. Tried not to make it too obvious. Grabbed a spot with Murray and Targon. I saw that, looking at the list. You gonna sign up? Human like you, what hope you got? Zeltrons. Always with the dumping on humans. Don't listen to her, Kwai. I checked the list. Wasn't a single Zeltron on there. That's cause there's only two of us in the company, dick. And I don't know if you saw the roster, the platoon only has three heavy gunners with their Z6 ticket. Man, we were short on numbers. Barely fielding three squads, and each of them short a few hands in their own run. Murray and I were geared up for some prime shit-talking. She ruined the mood by reminding us how fucked we were. And not even in a comedic way. What a buzzkill. The silence didn't hang around the table too long. Look at that. 
turned around to see Corporals Vama and Husto over by the list. Husto was punching in his numbers. Just Husto, not Vama. I thought for sure Vama would. Shalaktim were so slick and graceful. I'd seen him when we were under fire. No hesitation, no fear, just ice. Shame I wouldn't get to see him square up. I saw Husto put his TK on there, and I scoffed out loud. Now, I didn't dislike Husto as a person. I thought he was a morally sound guy. He didn't get rough with prisoners and always answered right away when calls for medic went up. But he was such a bag of dicks. All the time he was snide and miserable and spoke down to everyone. It amazed me Vama could even stand the guy. Go on, Kwai. Punch in your coat. Take the corporal down a few stripes. I spun back at Murray. If you break my nose, I'll slash your boots, Murray. Strictly body shots with you, I swear. It didn't matter what he replied with. I wanted to tag Husto so bad. So, I got up, hid in my digits. The corporal was just sitting down. Oh, come on, Kwai. You're using up enough of my back to as it is. You step in that ring, I'm gonna run out. I was relieved there were no spatters of laughter in the room. He hadn't said it for attention. That wasn't his bit. He just did it to be an asshole. Yeah, make jokes. First time it's us in there, I'm gonna break a few of your ribs. I laughed it off, saying I would make sure to order my own stock next time I visited supply. I was walking back to my barracks and Tolan slunk up from behind. Hey, I saw that little exchange in there with the corporal. You know he's from Kovatar, right? I didn't even know what Kovatar was, so Tolan mentioning it didn't click. He made a joke about what a bumpkin I must be because Kovatar was a system that belonged to Mandalore. It was home to some clan that was wiped out during one of their many civil wars and had fallen under jurisdiction of the Republic. Apparently, despite the Republic allegiance, they considered themselves to be very much Mandalorian at heart, and as such were very enthusiastic about the adherence to the Mandalorian way of life, of which Terracossi was very prominent, given they'd invented it specifically to kill Jedi. I'm going to have to assume you're already aware of how deeply rooted the conflicts are between Jedi and Mandalore. You'd have to be from a galaxy far, far away not to. The gist of what Tolan was saying, between chuckles and drags on his stick, was that Husto was going to make me suffer for ever squaring up with him. Murray knew. He had to know. His whole bit was knowing. I rolled my eyes and we took a stroll down to where the ring was being set up. The captain was there overseeing everything with one of her engineering sergeants. They were laying down a Duracreet pad and they had one of the processing chippers, which we used to grind up stones and boulders to make a base for Crete, being used to create fine rolled gravel. 
spreading it a few inches thick over the pad. That gravel was the only cushion we'd get in the ring. It was about five centimeters deep and I could already imagine what it would be like getting clipped in the jaw and falling into that stuff. Didn't seem so bad. Not as jagged as I expected and the powder from the grinder gave it a bit of a fluid-like feel. Some of the engineers said they'd already been screwing around in there doing shoulder throws and that we'd really like it. One of them asked about the Deveronian, said they'd seen her tossing fuel drums and asked if she was planning on entering. I said I hoped so, to which one of the engineers laughed. <laughs> I hope she doesn't, I already signed up for it. There was an instant reaction of me summing them up wondering if this would be someone I'd be trading shots with in the coming days. They were Pantoran, dark blue skin, bright yellow eyes, and more of a slight build than Sergeant Kyra. They were about my height, though. Oh, well, maybe you two are going to be trading partners or something. Huh, Kwai? Oh, nice. I'm Corporal Kam Sadaya. Uh, your friend is right. We're about the same size. Wouldn't be a bad idea. They asked me about my fighting experience, and I joked that I didn't have any, but that I played a lot of Lemmy. And that set up quite a conversation. They played too. Came from a system about a month's flight on one of the hyperdrive routes from my home planet. A collection of colonies on the moon of Huron. I knew the name, I was sure of it, but I didn't really know much about the place. It was just nice talking Lemmy with someone who had a good head for the game. Our conversation was cut short when they were called back to work by their sergeant. So Tolan and I went back to the barracks, hoping to grab a few cans of ale with the rest of the platoon before lights out. We'd only just started putting them back when a collection of bracelets went off, specifically anyone who signed up to be in the fights. It was the calendar. I mentioned before that everyone had a calendar that showed them exactly where they needed to be at all times. What their duties were, stuff like that. Well, we knew that signing up for the tournament would allegedly give us privileges, but that meant we'd also need to have our assignments adjusted. And I wasn't too pleased to learn I'd be walking a perimeter patrol in less than six hours. And I wouldn't be alone. Perimeter duty? We just got back this morning. This is bullshit. We're due for a solid 24 hours of downtime. It's regulation. Yeah, but we're not on the fly-out rotation until next week. So, that's alright. Says the guy who's gonna be sleeping in tomorrow. The duty schedule wasn't too bad, actually. I could handle an early morning shift outside of the wire because I knew I got a few hours downtime to squeeze in a decent nap before the first of our daily two-hour training sessions with the rest of those who'd signed up for the tournament. I just needed to make sure what sleep I did get counted. So I curled up on my cot and threw a pillow over my head to shut out the rest of the room. A key skill in the Galactic Army is learning to sleep wherever, whenever even when surrounded in a room full of degenerates.
My alarm buzzed me awake before daylight came. It'd be dark for at least another hour, and I could hear the rain falling outside. Heavy. The room was quiet, save the snoring. Saw Mondi getting up, tossing her gear on and pulling out a rifle. There were a few others up and about. Must have been a mixed platoon patrol, which wasn't something that happened too often. The captain's commitment to winning this Terracossi tournament was already throwing things into a bit of chaos. Normally, one squad would be outside the wire at a time. That's 16 troopers covering a few clicks of terrain. You'd have seven stationary positions and two movers going from one spot to the next, taking turns. Two troopers always on the move. And it was set up so that over eight hours, each gun would walk the entire line. And by that time, the next shift would take over. Bondi and I made our way through the downpour to the hotel's outer security checkpoint and read over the security logs. What to expect, points of interest, data from other fire points and patrols, then acquired the new encryption key for the comms units. When you were out on the line, you were always in radio contact through an encrypted channel. If anyone saw anything, it was called in right away. And to keep hostiles from hearing what was being said, the channels were encrypted. And that encryption code was changed throughout the day, usually shift to shift. According to the logs, there had been some motion sightings in the northwest sector. Fuck them. But when some troopers went out to investigate, there was nothing there. Do you know what's going on? They said some underbrush looked broken, but with the heavy spring rainfall, it could have been anything. So, out we went. Patrol 379B en route. Prepare for contact. Acknowledged. Mondi was ahead of me, and we moved slowly to our designated position. The damp smell of flowers and rot hanging everywhere you went in the stillness of the trees. Once you were out in the open, everything had that still cold smell of fresh rain. Our first post was a fantastic spot, on the fringe of a tree line around a large cluster of boulders. Based on the layout, it looked like this had been a single hunk of rock a few hundred thousand years ago. Erosion cracked it into pieces. Parts had toppled over and the vegetation moved in. There was great vision looking down over the slope of the hill, across the mix of rock faces and clinging vegetation, doing its slow, timeless dance with the mountainside. The expanse of low hills rose and fell into the distance, obscured by falling rain and low-hanging wisps of cloud that dangled in dissipating festoons from the gray ceiling above. Outlines would be drawn from time to time by cracks of lightning. White light that seared eyes and left ghostly impressions of what laid in front of us. Mondi clicked. She saw something coming at us from our side. It would be handy to throw on thermals, but there was so much wildlife the goggles just bled red. 
And even then, some of the plant life in this sector maintained homeostasis to survive the winter. So it was actually easier to just train your eyes for what to look for. Bodies, humanoid bodies, always move in certain patterns. And the wildlife around them will react in certain ways. Birds scatter, insects buzz, and lizards scramble differently when they think there's a predator nearby. Those are the things you look for. Kyra and Hefspar drilled us on this all the time. I looked in the direction she motioned. I saw it too. About 200 meters away, slinking between a division and two long rock faces. Out in the open. They'd move a few meters and drop. Then keep going. It was one of ours. Post 5A coming in on your four, hold fire. I let my breath go and made ready to take my turn running to the next post. A typical shift on watch. Four hours had gone by. It was lighter now, but the clouds were still thick and they were letting loose heavy rainfall. The rain and clouds blew in from the Karth Sea in the west and butted up against the Toblin Range in the north and Gosmer Peaks in the south, congregating over the Vista Valley and Green Death, then just hung around dumping water on us, feeding the countless swamps and rivers, draining back into the sea and starting the whole cycle over again. Up on the hill, it wasn't so bad. The rocky nature meant it wasn't too hard to find a spot where water would roll off instead of pooling. But the lower you went, the worse it got. I was splashing through a small stream that had formed via runoff on my way to the next post. This is post 3A, checking in with runner one. How close are you? I checked in and took a look at my position from my bracelet's map. Post 3A, this is runner 1, two clicks east by southeast of your designated position, over. Understood, runner 1. Please alter course to coordinates 34Z by 33K. Stationary anomaly spotted beneath a cluster of motor vines, please identify. Super. A stationary anomaly could be anything an enemy fighter or observer or maybe just a weird looking cluster of rocks somehow giving off a thermal signature. There had only been one time in three months that an anomaly had been anything with a pulse. A Twi'lek prospector who didn't like being told to clear off said there was a Kenyan vein nearby and it was his right by imperial law to mine it. We wound up placing him under arrest, and the skipper had him flown to Flaudine for processing as a refugee. I'm still convinced that most of the prospectors in the region were actually Sesher spies, probing our positions to see how efficiently we'd respond. That Twi'lek was on my mind as I made my way towards the target. Across another small, shallow stream, the rocks under my boots shifted and ground together as I crossed. I was grateful for the stream at that point. It was shallow, decent footing, 
and the tall grasses on the other side gave me adequate shelter if someone was watching my approach. Were it me out there, and I was wanting to stir some shit on the perimeter of an enemy position, I'd bait them, just like this. Leave something tasty knowing they'd come for it, then sit back from a good hide and watch. Someone came to investigate? Put him down, vanish. Then do it again, and again, brutalizing the enemy morale in the process. Cause you need to investigate things like this. You need to take control of your position, own it. Otherwise, you send the message to the enemy, they can encroach and you won't do anything. I was getting close moving out of the stream bed through the grasses and into some clinging vines and weeds that came up two meters high. Nasser beetles dropping off the leaves and taking strips of my neck off when they landed. Every bug out here thought mud troopers were the most delicious thing on the menu. It was mostly through the overgrowth when I realized this anomaly was gonna be in the open. The soil was getting rockier vegetation more sparse. I was near the edge, laying on my belly looking out at the clear rocky face that extended 50 meters. Off the far side was a thicket of otovines that was clustered near a drop-off, and then even more vegetation that wound its way around the side of the hill into yet another nameless valley. Otovines were a plant that started out with a thick rugged trunk cracking through the soil until it reached about 20 feet, then fell down onto itself in a tangle of flowered vines. You could eat the petals and get pretty high. It was a weird hallucinogenic type of high though, not really what I was interested in. Regulations forbade them as well, but troopers would always harvest handfuls in the bush and then sell them to the locals who'd refined them into a much more potent version to sell off-world or in big cities. This one didn't have many flowers on it. Nothing I could come within reach of anyways, and I knew I was being watched by the troopers in post 3A, so I wasn't about to try. I could see something below the vines, what the others had called in looked down my scope. A tarp, dark gray. Typical fare for miners and hunters who were setting up impromptu shelters. Tangles of straps, frayed edges, limp fronds scattered nearby. Some lifting when the wind picked up and revealing more of the tarp underneath. Rocks were placed along the edges, keeping everything hidden. I peered into the nearby vegetation with my scope. No movement. My curiosity was getting to me here. Runner one, what do you see? I radioed back that I couldn't make anything out, that it was just a tarp, weighed down, covering a vague pile of something. I vocalized my concerns about this whole thing just being bait. Don't worry, trooper, we've got eyes on you. Scopes are trained. 3A having eyes on me wouldn't be much of a use if there was a sniper in position waiting to take my head off. But this was the job. 
I acknowledged and crawled out from the undergrowth, moving across a flat sheet of rock with patches of blue and white moss clustered in dull, fuzzy blooms. The shade of stone matched our uniforms, so there was a limited element of camouflage. But I was in the open. No matter how low I stayed, there'd be no shelter between me and whatever it was I was heading for. At least the rain was still there. It would make targeting difficult for anyone shooting from a significant distance. I was a few meters off, maybe six, when I was close enough to see a green arm sticking out from under the far side. Slight, thin, but muscled, not soft. No movement, though. My stomach was wound up tight. Something was off. I did a quick scan with thermals, and there was no heat signature. But some species had different imprints, so that wasn't entirely conclusive. You all right? I shouted. No response. My instincts, the farm kid in me, wanted to yank the tarp off, see if everyone was okay. The soldier, the one who'd been given plenty of training on improvised explosive devices, and the proper use of booby traps, knew that was a no-no. I took a few steps back, grabbed a stone about the size of my fist and lobbed it over. It impacted the tarp with a dull thud, spraying water that had accumulated in the folds. No movement. We got a body, I radioed in. Repeat that, runner one. It was the watch sergeant, monitoring comms. I told them once more there was a body beneath the anomaly being spotted. I offered to get in closer and take a better look. The watch sergeant cut me off. Negative, trooper. Proceed with your patrol and rendezvous with post 3A. I'm sending a speeder with a medic and some engineers to verify this isn't another trap. I acknowledged and headed back to post 3A, taking note that the sergeant had said another. By the time I reached the post, the engineers and medic were already investigating the tarp. They came in fast on a service speed. I had a good view of it from the new position, and the two troopers there, the ones who called it in, were arguing about whose turn it was to be the next runner. They both wanted to stay and watch things play out. Understandably. You could see it all from up there, even with the rain falling in sheets. And walking through camp with dirt like that, everyone would offer you a drink to hear the first-hand details. The crew down below stood there scanning for a bit, before moving in and pulling the tarp back. It came off slow and steady, revealing three bodies. Stripped naked, two human males and a Miriallan female. At this point, I was used to seeing dead bodies. Didn't know who these people were. They could have been gamblers who ran up debts, or maybe they were seshers who betrayed the wrong warlord. No way of knowing. I studied them, though, trying to piece together a story. Fresh bodies, or they'd been killed a while ago and left in a freezer or something. 
None of them showed any signs of heavy torture. Some light bruising, yeah, blistering on the wrists from ropes or binders. But they'd all been killed by a blaster bolt to the head. The scorch mark was front and center, right in the forehead. Rain was slowing and I could zoom in close enough to figure out the shot had been point blank. The scatter of burns near the wound did that. These were executions. The engineers were still scanning the area and were moving back towards the jungle on the opposite side. A lardy flew overhead and came down next to the engineering speeder. I was listening to our comms channel and hadn't heard anything, so it threw me for a second. Some troopers from the 80th platoon got off and followed the engineers into the woods. Looked like they were geared for an encounter too, all bristled. Very strange. They were gone a while too. Didn't hear any blaster fire, still no comms chatter. I was staring down my scope as our next runner arrived. That's when I saw motion down below. Those mutters from the 80th were coming out with the engineers. They had a body. Twillick male. Light, purple skin tone. Big guy. Tall. Muscular. And he'd been worked over. Cuts. Gashes. Looked like his eyelids had been cut off along with one of his lakers. Plenty of burns, long ones that ran down his arms and legs. Seen those before, from a welding torch. It was the most mangled looking body I'd ever seen. Turned my stomach. Hey, asshole, get moving or we're all gonna get in shit. I didn't want to leave. Despite the gore, I still wanted to see what was happening. But I knew I'd be able to get a full story when the patrol was over. There was no way something like that, a pile of bodies and some tortured guy getting dragged in from the woods, wouldn't be a prime subject of chatter for the next few days. Three hours later, I was relieved from duty and headed back to the security checkpoint for my briefing. Which was normally just a, yeah, I didn't see anything. But this time, it was a... Report to comms room six, send old men, private. Who's leaving bodies on the Empire's doorstep? Is this happening often? Does this mean the 79th's new position is already under threat? That's next time on episode 17. Towers and Terracassi. Thank you for joining me this week on Fearless Fred Presents Mud 79, a Star Wars fan fiction podcast. If you haven't already, make sure you follow the show so you'll never miss an episode. While you're there, don't forget to rate and review us. It helps grow the show and will make my contemptible harpy of a producer very happy. We're available for free at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, and wherever else you get your favorite streaming audio. You can also listen at CuriousCast.ca. Be sure to check out the show notes for more information and a full listing of Mud79's cast. 
If you want to reach out to me directly, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at fearless underscore Fred or email me at mud79 at curiouscast.ca. This show is hosted and written by me, Fred Kennedy, and Dila Velasquez, the Harpy, our producer. Sound design is by moi, and final production is by Rob Johnson. I'll see you next week for more Mud 79.